This episode, we talk about how the left uses identity politics as a weapon against their political opponents. We also talk about President Trump's Mount Rushmore speech and the media's response. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. One of the ideas that has dominated our political landscape over the last several years, particularly strongly, has been the concept of identity politics. Identity politics is the idea that people of a certain race, gender, religion, sexual orientation, or any other defining feature would all come together and have similar political views and political leanings and ideologies. The idea behind identity politics is that if you are, for example, a woman that who's living in a particular place, that you would have similar life experiences as other women who are living in that particular place. And therefore, the ideas that you would have and the direction you would want to see your country go in and the policies that you would support would tend to be similar. Today in the United States, identity politics is a game that is played very, very strongly by the left. And it's interesting because all identity politics in our country today really does aim towards the left. If you are a woman, if you are a racial minority, if you are part of the LGBT community, you are basically automatically expected to vote for the left in this country. In fact, there's not really a group that is automatically expected to vote for the right in America. It could be argued that maybe cisgender, straight, white males would be the identity politics group that would tend to lean towards the right. But the truth is, is that there are, I personally know a lot of men who fall into that category who are Democrat and who vote Democrat. So it is definitely not something on the other side that you would just meet a white guy and, you know, chances are that he is a, he's a Republican. That's just not the way it works. There's plenty of white males who vote Democrat. Today, identity politics is all aimed towards the left, and it's a game that is played by the left. There's a lot of tactics that they use in order to push identity politics onto us. And one of the strongest tactics that I have seen is this these word games that they like to play. Words are very strong and powerful things. They carry a lot of meaning and they really affect us in the way that we hear words and in the way that we behave. And so when they play these word games, they can potentially be really powerful and it takes a lot to actually stand up to them. As a woman who is who identifies myself as a Christian conservative, that's kind of the best description of my worldview, uh, one of the things that I noticed and learned really early on in my adult life was the word games that, that are played around the term feminism. So for example, feminists and people who are in the feminist movement will say that all feminism is is about equality. All it means is that they want women and men to be treated equally, to have equal opportunities, and that they don't want women to be discriminated against, for example, in the workplace or when it comes to holding political office or getting into universities or anything like that. Based on that description, the vast, vast majority of Americans would be able to identify as feminists. Yes, even people on the right want those things for women and believe in equality for women. And so they would happily identify as a feminist. But the problem is, is that that's not 
all that femi- the feminist movement in America today encapsulates. Okay, for example, you can't be pro-life and be a, and be a feminist. If you say that you are anti-abortion, they say, mm, yeah, no, that's, that's a position that is anti-women and therefore that cannot be a feminist position. Forget the fact that consistently nearly half of women in America have polled being morally against all abortion. Forget the fact that even many women who identify as pro-choice believe that there should be some restrictions on abortion. It doesn't matter. According to feminists, you cannot hold those positions and be a feminist. You definitely can't be religious and be a feminist, particularly if you are a Christian or if you are, for example, a Catholic. You cannot be a feminist because they say those are patriarchal religions. And the Catholic Church, for example, which I am a part of, is a patriarchal church. They don't allow women priests. They don't allow women in positions of leadership. So you definitely cannot be religious, um, especially Christian, and be considered a feminist. You can't be for a traditional gender role. So if you are that woman who says, you know, hey, I want to be a stay-at-home mom with my kids and I want to be a homemaker and take care of my home and take care of my family as my primary role, forget it. The feminist movement does not want you. And you most definitely cannot be conservative. So when a lot of women who believe in all of those things, who are Christians, who want to be stay-at-home moms, who are morally against abortion, when they when they hear all of that, they're not going to, you know, we are not going to just automatically walk away from all of our deeply held beliefs and what we want to do and what we want our life to look like that brings us happiness and joy. We would much rather not be called a feminist. We would much rather just say, okay, fine, I'm not a feminist. But then when you say that, they say, how dare you? Because all feminism is, is equality for women. So it's all just this big circular word game. And when you stand up as, as I do, because I do not identify myself as a feminist. In fact, if you ask me, are you a feminist? I would absolutely say no, because of what the feminist movement in America today stands for. Then they turn around and they say, mm, "You so you don't want equality for women, which of course is a lie. This is such a huge talking point on the left. They, they say, for example, that, you know, conservative men are sexist and they just want to keep their women down, keep them barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And it's so interesting to me when I hear all of these talking points that come out of the left, because my entire life I have been surrounded by conservative men. I was raised by a conservative man. My husband is a conservative man. And when I look around at the family members and the friends that I have who are conservative men, they have always, my entire life, been some of my biggest cheerleaders. They have been the people who have really encouraged and supported me in any and every goal that I have ever had in my life. So when I hear people on the left say conservative men are, you know, they just want to keep women, again, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, it is just so ironic to me because in my own life experience over and over and over again, nothing could be further from the truth. After the 2016 election, Hillary's supporters, I will never forget, went all over the cable news networks saying that anybody who did not vote for Hillary Clinton or particularly any woman who did not vote for Hillary Clinton had internalized misogyny. That was the phrase they used, internalized misogyny, which means that I hate myself, that deep down inside, I hate women and I hate myself, which is beyond insulting. And they also said, this is another line that they like to use, is that women who vote conservative are voting against their own interests. As though, first of all, these people get to determine what the interests of all women in America are, which is ridiculous. And second of all, that the Democratic Party has represents my interests whatsoever. They don't. They don't. 
I don't believe in abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy, which is the platform and position of the Democratic Party. I find that to be immoral. I believe in low taxes. I believe in personal responsibility. I believe very strongly in freedom of speech and freedom to practice your religion in the way that you see fit without any sort of bullying from the state. I believe in gun rights. I believe in strong borders. There's a lot of things that I believe in that the Democratic Party just does not represent in whatsoever. And so when I look at the Democratic Party, I say, they don't represent me. Okay, and now here we are, fast forward to 2020, and the Democratic Party is not just talking about defunding police departments, but they are actually moving in cities across the country to defund police departments. That is definitely not in my interest. Okay, I want safe cities for my children to grow up in, and I know perfectly well that having safe cities means having strong police departments. And you know what they say? They say, oh, that's just a sign of your white privilege. Well, you know what? So be it. So be it. If that's a sign of my white privilege to be to live in a safe community, that's ridiculous. I want white people, black people, and everyone else to be able to live in safe communities. And I recognize that the way that we do that is through strong policing of communities, which is something that the current Democratic Party is moving away from at a pretty rapid pace. This argument is also very prevalent, especially right now, for black Americans who identify as conservative. You want to see some of the most attacked and viciously mistreated people in this country, go talk to black conservatives. It's ridiculous how much these fellow Americans are attacked every single day for daring to think differently than the left in America tells them that they're supposed to think. Just, I think it was last week, Senator Tim Scott, who is an African-American, who is Republican, introduced a police reform bill to the floor of the Senate that was looking to make some changes to policing across the country. And Senator Dick Durbin, who is white, by the way, called that police reform bill a token approach. He actually used the word token. Republican, black, conservative Americans are called tokens all the time. I actually just a moment ago, one of my friends on Facebook, a liberal, and she posted something calling anybody who disagrees with the left who is black, she called them your token black Republican friends. So this is something that is very widespread in usage. And it's something that I think is pretty gross, actually. Snoop Dogg just released, I think it was today or yesterday, a poster with faces and names of several prominent, outspoken black conservative Americans with a racial slur on the poster. I mean, this is something that they face every single day. And of course, we saw just several weeks ago, controversy with Joe Biden say, telling people that you ain't black if you can't decide to vote for him instead of voting for Donald Trump. You ain't black. Yes, because that is what every African-American in this country wants is old white man Joe Biden being the arbiter of what it means to be black in America. It's, it's so arrogant and it is so insulting and it is so disgusting. And yet they engage in this without any repercussions, really, because, of course, the media downplays all of those controversies. The media, they don't talk about these kinds of insults that these people are facing. And so it just kind of gets pushed under the rug. But if a Republican were to say something half as insulting, it is front page news all day long. The same thing is true in the LGBT community who are a part of that community who are conservative are treated in much the same way. These people really think that they are the ones who get to define what it means to be a woman or what it means to be black or what it means to be gay. And there really is very little 
that could be more arrogant and more offensive than somebody telling any conservative person or any woman or black or gay person that they get to take away a part of your identity if you don't toe the line exactly as they want you to. And this, by the way, coming from people who tell us every single day that we are supposed to honor and respect the identities that Americans choose for themselves, which means that if you are a biological man who believes that you are a woman and wants to be called a she, we are supposed to accept that and we are supposed to respect that. But if you are a female conservative, then you know what? You're not a real woman or you have internalized misogyny. They think that they get to tell us who we are and take away parts of our identity if we do not believe exactly what they want us to believe. These word games, the word game that I talked about when I spoke of the word game with feminism, the word feminism, this is being played right now as we speak with the phrase Black Lives Matter. The phrase Black Lives Matter as a phrase, as a, something that means that the lives of black people matter as much as the lives of anyone else and every other race. That is something that, again, Everybody in America believes, except for those fringe radicals, okay, that very, very small percentage. The vast, 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 vast majority of Americans agree with the fact that the lives of black people matter just as much as anyone else, okay? Every single human being is made in the image of God, and that is something that pretty much all Christians especially believe, but it is something that definitely the majority of Americans believe. And yet, Black Lives Matter is also the name of an organization. It is a name of an organization, and it is a radical organization. Black Lives Matter is a radical Marxist organization that openly says on their website that they want a national defunding of police across the country and the abolition of the nuclear family. Patrice Cullors is one of the leading founders, or at least right now the leading members of the Black Lives Matter organization, and she was caught on video openly stating that she is a trained Marxist, and what they want is Marxism, okay, which is communism, to be spread in the United States. This is an organization that if they get their way in our country and in some areas of the country, they absolutely are getting their way as we see police departments being defunded across the country. And in some cases like Minneapolis, where they are actually trying to abolish the police department, if this organization gets its way, then this country is going to be a really, really crappy place to live. That is the reality. You are not going to have police officers show up at your house in a case of an emergency in a timely manner if this organization gets their way. And that is something that every single American needs to contend with. And yet, if you say this stuff, if you say this organization is, is terrible and they're extremist and they're pushing the country in a really ugly direction, what they do is they twist it around and they say, oh, you don't like Black Lives Matter? That means that you don't believe that black lives matter. You don't believe that black lives have value. That's how they twist this around. You actually don't need to simply take my word for it. There was an exchange that I'm actually going to read a bit of because it, I think, is really important and something that very clearly illustrates what I'm talking about. There was an exchange between Kaylee McEnany, the White House press secretary, and Jonathan Carl, who is a White House press correspondent for ABC News. This was an exchange that they had in regards to a tweet by Donald Trump about Black Lives Matter, the organization. So first, I'm going to read the tweet by Donald Trump, because just to give context to the conversation. So Trump's tweet read, 
NYC is cutting police dollars by $1 billion, and yet the NYC mayor is going to paint a big, expensive, yellow Black Lives Matter, with Black Lives Matter capitalized, sign on Fifth Avenue, denigrating this luxury avenue. This will further antagonize New York's finest, who love New York and vividly remember the horrible BLM chant, pigs in a blanket, for I am like bacon. Maybe our great police, who have been neutralized and scorned by a mayor who hates and disrespects them, won't let this symbol of hate be affixed to New York's greatest street. Spend this money fighting crime instead. So, of course, the media took it to mean that Trump was calling the, again, the phrase Black Lives Matter a symbol of hate. That is what they decided to run with. So there's this exchange between ABC correspondent Jonathan Carl and Kaylee McEnany, the, again, the president's press secretary, about this tweet where he's asking her what it means. And one of the things that I always find fascinating about these exchanges is that they will ask her, okay, well, what does it mean? And she'll clarify it, but then they act as though, no, that's not what he meant. He meant this other thing. Well, then why bother asking the question, you know? So he says, to her, why does he call Black Lives Matter a symbol of hate? And this is what Kaylee McEnany responded, quote, well, what the president was noting is that that symbol, when you look at some of the things Black Lives Matter has chanted, like pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon, that's not an acceptable thing to paint on our streets. So look, he agrees that all Black Lives Matter, including that of David Dorn and Patrick Underwood, two officers whose lives were tragically taken amid these riots, all black lives do matter. He agrees with that sentiment. But what he doesn't agree with is an organization that chants pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon about our police officers, our valiant heroes who are out on the streets protecting us each and every day. Then Jonathan Carl responds and says, you know, protests across the country have rallied around the phrase Black Lives Matter, and the president is here calling it a symbol of hate. So McEnany again responds, quote, he's talking about the organization. I would note to you that the greater New York BLM president has said that if this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down the system. And I could be speaking literally. So then Carl responded to her and said, quote, he's not talking about the organization in his tweet. He's talking about the words. And McEnany responds, quote, what's the name of the organization again? And of course, Carl has to respond, Black Lives Matter. And she says, there you go. You just answered my question. So this is exactly the game plan for them. This is exactly the game plan. OK, he asked the question. All right. Trump sent out this tweet. Okay, tweets are short. You know, they're, they're only allowed so many characters. So Trump sent out this tweet. Okay, can you clarify? Can you clarify what he meant by calling Black Lives Matter a symbol of hate? And she very clearly said what he meant was not the phrase and the sentiment Black Lives Matter. In fact, she clearly stated that he believes that all Black Lives Matter. He agrees with that sentiment and that it is the organization Black Lives Matter that he believes is a symbol of hate. And what does Jonathan Carl do? He goes, no, no, he wasn't talking about the organization. He's talking about the words. This is the game plan for them. They do this on purpose because they know that they're going to go out there and despite what McEnany says, despite what anybody says, they're going to go out there and they're going to say, no, no, no. Anybody who criticizes Black Lives Matter, which again is a Marxist organization, anybody who criticizes Black Lives Matter doesn't believe that the lives of black people matter. And that is absolutely a lie. It is absolutely false. The thing about identity politics, the way it's played today, is that 
the people who who advocate for it don't even believe the things that they are saying. When they told us back in 2016 that we needed to vote for Hillary because she was a woman and it was time. It was time to have a woman president. We had had 44 male presidents. It was time to have a woman president. Here's the thing, okay? If you had in, let's say, the 2024 election, Beto O'Rourke, okay, who is a straight white male, okay, because despite the fact that he calls himself Beto, he is in fact white. If you have Beto O'Rourke versus, let's say, Republican governor of South Dakota, Christy Nome, these people would not vote for Christy Nome, okay? These feminist groups would not stand up in race to vote for Christy Nome as the first woman president of the United States because she's on the right, period. They will happily vote for a straight white male before they vote for a woman because it's all about leftism. It is not about the identity, okay? It's the same thing for race. They, you know, they say, hey, you know, we need to have African-Americans more represented by leadership in our government. And yet, if you had, again, the the scenario where you had, for example, Republican Tim Scott, African-American versus white guy Beto O'Rourke, they would vote for Beto O'Rourke. And they would not vote for Tim Scott just because he's black. So the people who are pushing identity politics, they don't even believe what they are pushing on us, okay? They are just using it as, once again, it is a bullying tactic. It is a bullying tactic to try to get people to do what they want us to do and walk away from our values and walk away from our ability to think for ourselves. It is really crazy when you stop and think that there are people in this country who are actually standing up there under the cover of feminism and fighting for equality for women who are actually making the argument that all women in this country have to think exactly the same. There is very little that I think is more misogynistic than the idea that all women in America have to think exactly the same. There is very little that I think is more racist than the idea that all black people or all Hispanic people or all white people or all Asian people have to think exactly the same on all issues and have to vote exactly the same. One thing that is always really interesting is if you listen to anybody, whether they are female, whether they are black, whether they are gay or or anything else, who were on the left, okay? So some examples, for example, someone like Candace Owens or someone like Dave Rubin, who were on the left, the minute that they even start to ask questions about some of the philosophies on the left, they are viciously attacked, for even daring to ask those questions. Even Marianne Williamson, who was a Democratic candidate for president of the United States, even she said that when she was caught on a hot mic, she said that conservatives and Republicans in this country are so much nicer to her and so much more tolerant of their differences and being nice to her in, in spite of those differences than the people who are on the left. The funniest thing for me to observe is how much the left is just eating their own right now. And it is because eventually when your line that you have need people to walk, your ideological line is so narrow and it is so, you know, it has to be word for word perfect what they want it to be. They are, of course, they're going to start losing leftists to the cancel culture and to the mob, okay? Because, okay, fine, you're going to write me off because I'm a conservative. Okay, whatever. Like, you're, I wasn't going to be in the club anyway. What is really fascinating to watch is, I mean, the cancel culture mob is coming from, for Lynn manuel Miranda, for all people, they are calling on Hamilton to be canceled. He had to issue an apology for not speaking out soon enough or quickly enough about the George Floyd situation. Lynn manuel Miranda, this is he is no conservative. 
he is pretty woke, okay, in terms of how woke people are. This is the guy who, you know, it was his cast who stood up after a production of Hamilton and lectured the vice president of the United States of America, lectured him on politics and on, you know, wokeness and on his political opinions. And yet now you have the leftist mob calling for the cancellation of Hamilton. Okay, you are going to continue to see this until there is absolutely nobody left. Because the truth is, is that no American should fit into a perfect little box. That is the reality. Okay, there are things Look, I'm a conservative and I'm a Christian and I'm a woman. And there are things I could sit down with another Christian conservative woman and there will be things that we disagree on. And that's okay. There are, you know, spectrums of all sorts of ideas that people have. And that is okay. That is something that we have to go back to being open to. We have to go back to being open to this idea that, you know what, we don't need ideological purity tests. We don't need everybody to walk in lockstep in an ideological manner in order to, you know, talk to that person or be, you know, respect that person or love that person or look at that person as a fellow American. We don't need that. We all need to think for ourselves. Educate yourself, read books, listen to different sides of the aisle and different perspectives and different opinions on things. Read articles from people who write from the left and people who write on the right side of the political aisle and make your own decision. The sex that you were born into or the color of your skin or your sexual orientation or your religion should not dictate perfectly what side of the political aisle that you are on. It should not do that. We all are individuals and we should all be able to make our own decisions. I just want to say, talk a little bit right now about uh, the 4th of July holiday weekend and particularly about the speech that Donald Trump made at Mount Rushmore. So I actually was busy this weekend and I did not listen to the speech live. Um, I actually didn't listen to it until today, to be honest, because um, again, I was busy celebrating the 4th of July this weekend with family and friends, which was very much against the law in California. But you know, I'm a rebel like that. So what was interesting is that I actually was able to hear a lot of the media reaction to the speech before I listened to the speech itself. And the media reaction that I heard was that this speech was dark and divisive, right? That was that was the thing. It was dark and divisive. But then I heard a lot of criticism of the media, that there were a lot of people, including people who were very adamant anti-Trumpers, who stood up and said that for the media calling this speech dark and divisive is nothing short of media malpractice. So one of the things that struck me was that the media criticism of Trump's speech, it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And what I mean by that is, is that the speech itself was filled with praise for our nation and for the people who throughout our 244-year history worked to lead us to a place where we are getting closer and closer and closer to applying the values of our nation's founding to every single American. He listed Americans from of every race, of different generations, of different time periods. He listed people from who were, you know, the founding fathers and politicians to civil rights leaders, to musicians, to inventors, to art, you know, other types of artists and actors and sports figures. He listed all of those people. He talked about our history. He talked about, you know, some of our common values. And yes, he did. He condemned what we are seeing happening in our culture right now, which is the tearing down of our history and the tearing down of not just statues, not just statues, but 
the calls and the dis- for for the tearing down of monuments such as Mount Rushmore, the attacks on the Fourth of July. I mean, some of the things that I saw people saying again, not always, you know, the media figures, but the media figures start to say it, or I should say, people with the platform, people like Colin Kaepernick, for example, they start to say this stuff, and it trickles down into everyday average Americans who I then see my friends and my family repeating these things. Okay, so for example, what one of our friends posted on social media on the 4th of July, this thing attacking Mount Rushmore and talking about, you know, repeating the the talking point that, oh, it was on stolen land. And, you know, the two people were slave owners on it. I mean, this when people say these things, people who have power, it's going to trickle down into the culture and it's going to affect average everyday Americans. And this is what we are seeing. And yes, Trump condemned it. And you know what? I completely support that condemnation of the attack on our country, the attack on our nation's values, and the attack on our nation's history that we have been seeing from people, yes, on the left, okay? And it's really fascinating to me. And so when I say that the media criticism is a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you listened to his speech, and which was filled with praise for our nation and the people you know who have made contributions to our country, if you listened to that and you felt that it was divisive and hate-filled, then that just proves Trump right about you. That just proves Trump right about you, that if you're listening to praise of our country and you are equating that with white supremacy, then that just proves that he's right, that there is a level of hatred, not just of Confederate statues, but of the United States of America itself that is, you know, prevalent among a certain portion of Americans. If the part you take issue with is, for example, the con- his condemnation, as I've seen in certain media outlets, that if the part you take issue with is his condemnation of those trying to erase history, defame our national heroes, the cancel culture, and the tearing down of American values because you are arguing that those things aren't actually happening, then you are gaslighting. One of the media things that I saw was um, an article that was written by CNN's Chris Saliza, 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 however you say his name, that the, the title of the article was the 28 most outrageous lines from Donald Trump's Mount Rushmore speech. OK, the 28 most outrageous lines. OK, so some of the lines that he found outrageous. Number one line he found outrage, outrageous. Let us also send our deepest thanks to our wonderful veterans, law enforcement, first responders and the doctors, nurses and scientists working tirelessly to kill the virus. That is the number one thing that he found outrageous. Now, the part about that that he found outrageous is the fact that that was the only time that Trump mentions the coronavirus pandemic in his entire speech. That's just where he starts. The number two thing, okay, this is this is where the gaslighting comes in. The number two thing that he found outrageous is when Trump said, I am here as your president to proclaim before the country and before the world, this monument will never be desecrated. And you know what Chris Saliza decided that he was going to respond to that? Uh, was there some sort of movement to tear down Mount Rushmore I was unaware of or dot, 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 question mark? Is this guy seriously a journalist? Because if he's a journalist and he hasn't been aware of the calls over the last several days attacking Mount Rushmore, saying that it was that it is, you know, oh, it's on it's on stolen land. And, you know, there there was actually some leaders of some Native American tribes who absolutely were calling on Mount Rushmore to be removed. And again, I mean, even friends of mine who are liberal 
have been kind of echoing this call, attacking Mount Rushmore. Um, In fact, there was a CNN reporter who was at Trump's speech who literally said he's standing in front of a monument of two slave owners. That was how she described Mount Rushmore. So if Chris Saliza is not aware of the movements in this country and the calls, again, not by the radical mob just out in the street, but by people on his own network attacking Mount Rushmore, then I think that really, again, you know, tells us a lot about his credibility. He, he, he lists so many more things that are, and, and the way that this article is written is honestly just astounding to me that this person is employed by a major news network like CNN because it's unbelievable. But basically, this is gaslighting. This is the gaslighting that I am talking about. The idea that Trump gets up there and says, hey, there are people who are trying to attack this monument behind me, this, you know, one of the most famous monuments in the United States of America. And his response is, uh, no, they're not. That's not actually happening. If you read through the rest of this article, that is exactly what he does this entire time, is he says Trump is waging the culture war and that what he is saying is not actually happening, that there are not actually people in this country who are absolutely trying to tear down our history and trying to rewrite our history and really say horrible things about our country in general and about the people who founded it. This is all happening. Now, if you're somebody who agrees with all of those sentiments, then that's fine. But if you are somebody who is an, who, who is an American who looks at these things and says, you know what, I don't like what I see going on in the country right now. I don't like this cultural shift into really anti-Americanism that I see going on in the country right now, which by the way, you're not crazy if this is what you see happening, because it absolutely is happening, no matter what the media tries to tell us and the gaslighting that they try to do. It absolutely is happening. So Donald Trump gives a speech that is, number one, praising America and praising people, Americans who have lived here and who have contributed to our nation. And number two, taking a strong stand against those who are spreading anti-American sentiment and who are trying to rewrite history on our founding and trying to erase history. He takes a strong stand on that. And what does the media do? They try to gaslight us once again, and they attack him for that speech. One final note that kind of ties together everything that I talked about today is we need to pay attention because the new word game that the left is really trying to play right now is this idea that praising America and being patriotic is equal to white supremacy. That is absolutely the direction that they are going in. And that is going to be their new talking point. If you are, if you consider yourself a patriot, if you are somebody who loves this country and who's proud to be an American, you are painted as a white supremacist. And this is not something that is going to be happening in the future. This is a movement that is al- has already begun. And this is a talking point that I've heard many times over the lead up to 4th of July weekend. And once we recognize these word games for what they are, once we see through them and we understand that they are just games and manipulation in order to get Americans to walk a certain line or follow a certain belief system, that is when we can stand up and say, no, No, patriotism is not white supremacy. Patriotism means loving America and loving the values that this country stands for. All right, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJAnAmerican. 
You can also message this show by sending emails to jj at imjustanamerican.com. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about identity politics and the media's response to Trump's 4th of July speech. I'll be back next time for a deep dive into issues plaguing American life from the perspective of Just an American. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Michael Beatty. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Beatty 3